DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He's the author of several books, including Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, A Theological Contemplation of Prayer. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lillis, we reflect on the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. Her retreat, Heaven and Faith, is the source of our current reflection. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Anthony. It's wonderful to be with you, Chris. We've come on a long journey. We're into the the last, really, the last three prayers of the retreat. As I've said in the last couple of shows, this is the crescendo. We're we're at the very heights of this retreat. And Elizabeth, in this prayer, shows us, helps us think about the whole reality of sin and divine mercy. Sometimes people get into contemplative prayer and they get really esoteric, talking about states of consciousness and mental hygiene and all that kind of stuff and techniques. Elizabeth doesn't really tell you very much in terms of technique at all. Instead, she roots her contemplation in a theology of sin and mercy. That's where this particular prayer leads us. God, who is rich in mercy, impelled by his exceeding love, even when we were dead because of our sins, has brought us back to life in Christ Jesus. Because all have sinned and have need of the glory of God, they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ, whom God has set forth as a propitiation for sins, showing both that he is just and that he makes just him who has faith in him. Sin is such a terrifying evil that in order to seek any good whatsoever, or to avoid any evil whatsoever, no sin should be committed. Now, we have committed very many. How can we keep from fainting in adoration when we plunge into the abyss of mercy and the eyes of our soul are fixed upon this fact? God has taken away our sins. He said so himself. I will blot out all their iniquities, and I will no longer remember their sins. The Lord, in his mercy, willed to turn our sins against themselves to our advantage. He found a way to make them useful for us, to convert them in our hands into a means of salvation. But do not let this diminish in any way our horror of sinning, nor our sorrow for having sinned. But our sins have become a source of humility for us. When the soul considers deep within itself, its eyes burning with love, 
the immensity of God, His fidelity, the proofs of His love, His favors which can add nothing to His happiness. Then, looking at itself, it sees its crimes against this immense Lord. It turns to its own center with such self-contempt that it does not know how it can endure its horror. The best thing for it to do is to complain to God, its friend, of the strength of its self-love which betrays it by not letting it place itself as low as it would wish. It resigns itself to do the will of God and in self-abnegation finds true, invincible, and perfect peace which nothing can disturb for it has plunged into such a deep abyss that no one will seek it there. If anyone should affirm to me that to find the bottom of the abyss is to be immersed in humility, I would not contradict him. However, it seems to me that to be plunged into humility is to be plunged into God. For God is the bottom of the abyss. That is why humility, like charity, is always capable of increasing. Since a humble heart is the vessel needed, the vessel capable of containing the grace of God wants to pour into it. Let us be humble. The humble can never rank God high enough, nor themselves low enough. But here is the wonder. Their weakness turns into wisdom, and the imperfection of their acts, always insufficient in their eyes, will be the greatest delight of their life. Whoever possesses humility has no need of many words to be instructed. God tells them more things than he can learn. Such was the case with the Lord's disciples. You have here a wonderful reflection on sin and mercy. I've mentioned this before, but I, I want to mention it again because it's helpful to understand what she's saying sin is and what she's saying mercy is. Mercy, the word comes from, uh, in Latin, misericordia. It means pain of the heart. And when we speak about divine mercy, what we're saying is that God's heart is pained over our sin. And it's not only our sinful acts, but in our heart there's a, a hostility to God. There's a a resentment towards him, there is something in us that finds God repugnant. And this is a horrible, horrible disease that lives within us. God is pained by that, not because it hurts him in any ways, but because he knows that disease in our hearts that holds us back from him, that inhibits us from completely trusting him, that often stymies our efforts to, to give ourselves over to him. 
he knows that this thing inside us, this misery, misery is the absence of God's love in us. He knows that this is holding us back. It's preventing us from thriving. It's preventing us from being what he has yearned for us to be from all eternity. St. Irenaeus says that the glory of God is man fully alive and the life of man is the vision of God. The reality is God aches so much for us because of the misery that is in our hearts that he sent his only begotten son into the world to take away our sin, to take away this hostility. All we need to do is entrust it to him in faith. And this means specifically, when I've sinned, I need to confess my sins to uh, feel contrition for my sins and to give them to the Lord. When I confess my sins uh, to a priest in the sacrament of confession, when I take responsibility for what I've done by saying out loud the sins I've committed. And I do so with the holy sorrow that moves me never to want to do those things again. The blood of Christ um, washes over me. I actually open my heart to the blood of Christ. I entrust to him the sin and he has the power to forgive it, to take it away. And this is a great wonder. The sin, this hostility to God that lurks in my heart, it has a limit. And the limit of sin is the mercy of God. The misery that afflicts us, the lack of love in our hearts that holds us back, is not the most true and deepest and final word about our lives. The final word about our lives is a love that is stronger than death. And that love is revealed on the cross. If anyone has sins in their life that they're struggling to let go of because they're attached to them, Elizabeth's words here are especially important. The way to let go of sin, to renounce it forever, is to look at God in his great love for us. A love that is stronger than death and to trust in him. The great mystic Sister Faustina Kowalska, I've referred to her before, just on this point where she asked Jesus, Jesus, what can I give you? And Jesus said to her, you can give me your misery because it's the only thing you have that's properly your own. Everything else I've given you, but your misery is all yours. And that's true of our sins. If we give Jesus our sins, this is what he wants. He wants to relieve us of that burden uh, so that we can be free to love. And the power of the cross is such that it really does remove all the horror of sin from our lives so that we do have the freedom to love, so that we are able to enter into the abyss of his mercy, the abyss of his great love. And that is the deepest truth, the deepest reality of our lives. This has a, a consequence for prayer and, and what happens to us in, in prayer, in genuine prayer. There's Elizabeth, throughout her writings, refers to a kind of recollection. When she talks to about entering into a, 
an abyss, we're peaceful and still and nothing can disturb us in that abyss. She's talking about a kind of recollection where our thoughts are baptized in God, are soaked with God, saturated with him, and our heart is filled with his love. And she's saying that by surrendering our sinfulness to him, by entrusting our sinfulness to him, he can lead us into this place where nothing can disturb us. No matter what, nothing can disturb you. This place is a place where no matter what we've done in life, no matter how horrible it is, he loves us so much, he wants to take us there. It's a place of great humility. This means Christian recollection is what permeates it is not a detachment from the world, the kind of detachment where you're kind of protected against bad things happening. What it means rather is that you are so overcome with compunction, you're so pierced to the heart by how much God loves you, and you're so grateful that he has taken your sin from you, that he has taken that sin with him to the cross, unleashed the power of his cross in your life. You're so grateful, so contrite, you're so pierced with love that you are ready always. Your heart burns and yearns to return love for love. You make yourself vulnerable to him and humble and surrendered. And that's what deep Christian prayer is all about. That's where the Lord wants to bring us. If our hearts are moved to that place, then he, there is nothing to stop him from raising us to the very heights of heaven. And this is what Elizabeth means by, by entering into this abyss of humility, which is God himself. Sin has the effect, Anthony, of cutting off that relationship, cutting off that opportunity. Is that why it's important that we give it over, allow him to transform that brokenness that has been caused by our sin? It, exactly. When we sin, it brings out into the open misery that's in our hearts. It brings it out into the open in such wise that it inflicts it on other people around us. But it afflicts it most of all upon God. Whenever we sin, there's a the certain way we're crucifying Christ anew. His cross reveals the, the truth of our action. And the Holy Spirit can show us this, can show us the horror of sin. The reason why sin is important to address in the spiritual life is this action this expression of our hostility does cut us off from the love of God. It, in a venial sin, it impedes the love of God. It, it doesn't root, take it completely out. We haven't acted completely against charity, but we haven't acted in a way that uh, allows God's love to flow through us. We've blocked it in some way. If we haven't totally rejected it. In mortal sin, it's a total rejection of God's love. It's, it's saying that something else, someone else, is more important than God. When we close ourselves off from that, God's love, even when we impede God's love, what we're, what we're choosing to do in those moments is live out of our misery. And that misery is so harmful uh, to ourselves and to others, um, uh, it robs us of God's life. And so that's why we need to confess it, why we need to give it to God. And now this is the remarkable thing, and this is what she's saying. 
Most people think in this life, if I can only stop sinning, then I'll finally be a saint. And so I can order my life just right so, you know, I have kind of a good discipline going, getting enough rest, and I'm taking care of myself, and I'm doing all these little techniques and things so I can manage manage myself so that I don't get into any serious sin. Then I can open myself up to holiness. Elizabeth is saying something quite the opposite. She's saying, if you go to serve the Lord, you're going to sin. The more you try, the more the more sin's going to come out. Because this the sin is an expression of a disease in your heart. God doesn't doesn't um, uh, uh, make that power of sin. He doesn't make it magically go away. He transforms it so that this sin that can can cut me off from the life of God, if I entrust it to Him, what He will do with it is he will turn my weakness into an occasion of grace. If I have some attachment in my life that's holding me back, something that is robbing me of being present to my family or, um, or my children or my co-workers, uh, and it could be any kind of attachment. It can be drugs and alcohol. It can be attachment to entertainment or all kinds of different media. Whatever it might be, there are things that hold us back. If we don't deal with those, they will rob us of the life of God. These are horrible things. These are uh, We're not pretty good people who need to be fixed up. We're very, very sick patients who will die if, we're not, if we don't submit ourselves to the medicine of the cross. But this illness, if we do submit it to the illness of the cross, will we sin again? Yes, we will. But um, the more we submit it to the Lord again and again, the more we open ourselves up to his grace and our very sin becomes an occasion for God to do something magnificent in our life, for us to see his power in a way we could have never imagined. I once uh, was struggling with uh, a, a great attachment to sin in my life. I, I confessed it to, um, to my confessor, and I told him, you know, I keep on falling back into this thing over and over again. And, and I want you know, why is the Lord allowing me to fall into this again and again and again? Why am I not seeing progress? Is he trying to teach me to be humble? The confessor, he told me, you know, the reason why your life isn't changing is because you haven't really learned to pray ardently over this brokenness in your life. When you can pray ardently, you will see not only your life change, but the whole world change around you. He used as an example, in fact, John Paul II. He said, have you ever seen John Paul II pray? And if anyone ever saw pictures of John Paul II praying, you'd see, or you saw it personally, his whole body shook when he prayed. And he would moan from deep within him, he would moan in his prayer. You find similar descriptions of prayer in the life of St. Dominic, St. Francis, St. Francis' Savior. To pray ardently with all your being, with all your might. Uh, uh, this is a, a great grace. This is how we're meant to pray. And he pointed to that and he said, when you can learn to pray like that, you will see not only your life change, but the whole world change around you. And that struck, it stayed with me. Do you see how this ties into what Elizabeth is saying in this passage. 
enter to enter into humility to constantly turn our sins back to God and entrust them back to God this leads us into a place where we discover we're completely reliant on him and we learn to ask him with all our might for the grace we need to live our life Elizabeth is saying when you enter into that kind of humility when you enter that deep into trusting God this God can bring you into a place where you don't sin anymore where even the first movements of sin and your weaknesses occasion a deep deep prayer a deep reliance on God and so these sinful inclinations this misery in my heart that was once pulling me pulling me down now this that has as we um as we allow these movements that what is inclining us to sin to move us to prayer all of a sudden this misery which once was a source of destruction cutting us off from divine life all of a sudden becomes um, an occasion of God's mercy where his power is unleashed in our lives and this is how you get into that deep place humility uh, the word humble it comes from fertile soil and in Elizabeth by identifying humility that God is calling us to enter into with God himself is saying God is the fertile soil in which we need to enter as we enter into the fertile soil which is God God can make us fruitful even even in our brokenness mm. humility humility uh, Teresa of Avila says it twice if she says it once it, that it's so important to desire that it's one of those virtues isn't it Anthony that if if we say we're humble we're not humble the only way you know true humility is to witness it that's true it's difficult to see yourself as humble this is also a little bit of what Elizabeth is talking about too it's true when I speak myself I, I'm not a very humble person but God is humble in me and uh, uh, and and God the Father has sent his son into me Jesus, who is meek and humble of heart, lives in my heart. And so, uh, yes, left to my own devices uh, because of the misery that's in me, I'm quite capable of all kinds of work of arrogance and pride, quite comfortable with my own self-sufficiency. But because Jesus is in me, um, that isn't the last word about who I am. That's not the deepest truth about who I am. The deepest truth about whom I am is that I'm a beloved son of the Father who is filled with the life and love of Jesus being communicated in my heart through the Holy Spirit. That is the deepest truth. And I come into that truth the more I repent of my sin and live a converted life. The way that you know that you have said yes to the mercy of God is that you live a life of conversion. And that doesn't mean that the struggle of sin disappears but it means that you're able to struggle with sin more fiercely with the strength and power, the humility that comes from God. There is a book by Slavomir Biela. He is a Polish spiritual theologian. He wrote a book called God Alone Suffices. In that book, he, he says that um, we, uh, we sometimes want to rely on so many different things other than God, our good health, our natural giftedness, and... Um, and many other things besides 
to kind of manage our lives. And when we do that, we confuse the gift, because all those things are gifts, with the giver. And sometimes to move our heart back to the giver so that we come to rely on him alone, so that we will humble ourselves, fall down in adoration before his loving presence. God will take away his gifts. And it's very painful when he does that. It's not that he doesn't want us to have those gifts, but because we're not attached to those gifts rightly, because we rely on them instead of him, he'll take them away for temporarily. And when he does, there will be great suffering and sorrow, but we will learn to rely on him alone. And so it's not that being thought of well by others is bad in itself. What's bad is our attachment to wanting to be thought well of by others. Uh, you know, we're more attached to our reputations than we are to God. Now in heaven, everybody will have wonderful reputations. Everybody will think well of each other. Um, that's not the problem. The problem is we want to be thought well of more than we want God. So to help us orient our hearts toward God, he may take away even our good reputations for a little while or our health, or many other gifts that we have received from him. He'll take them away for a little while so that we will turn to him. And when we turn to him and rely on him and learn to love him, he will restore all the blessings that he's taken away, but he will restore them in a more wonderful way. And rather than take us away from him, those same gifts will now lead us deep, more deeply into his mystery that suffering and humility kind of go together. It's true, uh, um, and, and it's a difficult part of the, the spiritual life, but it's also a great grace when it happens. And although at the time it's hard to be thankful for it, after we pass through, we realize how merciful the Lord has been to us. And, and so that when the priest hears our confession in the sacrament, when he hears our confession in the sacrament, it is exactly what you said. He's not just a man listening to our weaknesses. He is Jesus um, loving us and, um, and taking away from us the, our burden of sin. Uh, he's, Jesus is present to us through the priest. Well, in closing this reflection on the second prayer of day nine, uh, any final thoughts? I just encourage everyone uh, who's listening to this show especially if you haven't gone to confession for a long time, to maybe take some time in your away from your day and examine your heart. And if there are things that the Lord puts on your heart to confess, not to waste any time, to call your parish, find out when they're hearing confessions, and to get rid of that burden, to entrust it to the Lord. Uh, because when we entrust the Lord this burden um, uh, of sin in our hearts, the Lord is able to entrust us with his love in a new way. And it's something that you need not only for yourself, but the loved loved ones the Lord's entrusted to you. They need it from you too. So I encourage you to go to confession. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Anthony. Thank you, Chris. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this episode along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is 
fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis.